from the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. So, I really want to hear your story about this lottery fraud that you busted. So, would you like to tell us more about that? So, as you may be able to tell with the background of being on TV for years, national television, all the goals I had in life, I like promoting, I like marketing. I get a call from the governor and said, hey, would you run the lottery in the state? So the zoo I was running was a million and there was about $3 million budget. This was 350 million US dollars in budget. So it was a lot of money. In fact, I gave away, as I mentioned there, and that the other portion, $1 billion US dollars I gave away in the 10 years. So I'm having fun. I'm writing checks. It's not my money and let's give it away. Well, you know, all the things that go along with it, the, the lottery. You uh, weren't physically writing the checks where you. Uh, well, I, there's my signature on the check, but I got to present the big one. You know, (laughs) which was really fun. And we always had a lot of advice for the winners and we'd ask them to tell us what, what was good and bad as we gave it away. Cause I didn't want to contact them afterwards. The government gives you the money. You shouldn't hear from again, you spend it the way you want to spend it, but we'd give them advice about getting a tax accountant and a lawyer and that sort of thing. Or don't buy a Lamborghini in the first 30 days that's red because you may want it green, you know, wait 30 days, get all the excitement off. So all of this is going fun and dandy until I get the call. And the call came from when I was on a cruise ship down by Belize from our public service information officer. And she said, we got a problem. We have a winner, but the person just called and said, I'm going to send you the ticket, send me the $16.5 million. We don't think we should pay it. We think it's a fraud because he said that he bought it, but yet we have video and audio of the person in the, in the store that bought the ticket and that guy was three to 400 pounds in a black hoodie and it isn't a lawyer the way he described himself. I said, okay, don't pay it because we'll let it go to court. Let the courts decide. We'll put it in an escrow. So it's got interest. And I thought it was over. Well, the guy didn't show up. He sent it to another person in New York. This was a guy in Canada that originally called, sent it to a guy in, in New York who who, uh, then hired two lawyers and came in and tried to claim it an hour and a half before the ticket was to expire. Ding, ding, ding. This uh, just stunk from high heaven. So as we're standing there and talking press to all the press, by this time it had taken almost a year and we had fake account people coming in. So I think the clerk stole it from me or my husband's in the mafia. And if you would, if he comes in and claims that I get half of it because I'm married to him, he divorced me after he left. He's a truck driver. But, you know, everybody claimed it, but nobody really had the magic numbers or when we'd ask him, you know, if a female called, we knew it was a male because we, we kept the video and the audio. But long story short, this, these two lawyers showed up. We decided again, not to pay it. And after some negotiations with the guy in New York, he just says, I'm giving it up. We don't want, my client doesn't want the, I don't care if it's Bill Gates, you know, we, they 16.5 million US dollars, a pretty good chunk. So the, our police in our state and the attorneys, state attorneys decided that they're going to start an investigation. That investigation went almost two years and they ultimately got the gentleman in Canada, had to get with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and then the lawyer in New York. They both were interviewed and here's a question I hope you're never asked in business. Do you want to be the defendant or do you want to be the witness? Guess what? They both wanted to be the witness. 
They said, yeah, we got the ticket from a guy in Oklahoma, another state in the U.S., or from Texas. And so the DCI went down. They tried to interview them. Both the lawyer and the, his client, who they thought may have had the ticket, both left when the, the police tried to get out and interview them. Didn't go too much longer then, and we were running against a statute of limitations that we either needed to charge somebody. And again, we're just talking our little state, $16.5 million dollars. Most of the people were saying, this is not a big deal. You know, just pay it. This is government money. Why don't you just pay it? We just said, well, if it isn't fair and honest, we got to run the game fair and honest. We're going to, we're going to keep investigating. Well, we got a new prosecutor that came in and he said, we're going to release the videotape that had the audio and video. And lo and behold, when he did, got all sorts of tips. And one of the tips was from a gentleman who worked for the multi-state lottery. So this is the group that combines all the money of all the states and then sends it back. I kind of like Euro Millions with all the countries in, in Europe. And we thought, whoa, wait a minute. That guy is in charge of the security for that organization. And he also writes the pro wrote the program for the computer that drew the numbers. Ding, ding. So now we, you know, we have a ticket. We always say we had ticket, two hot dogs, and Bigfoot solve this case. So the ticket ultimately led back, we think, to this gentleman. So he's charged as his best friend in Texas with fraud, and they go to court. And didn't take long for the jury, even though it was all circumstantial evidence. We couldn't find the smoking gun of actually how he did it. They just said that he wrote the program and his best friend won, so he must have done it. And lo and behold, jury said, yep, two hours later, he's guilty. But here's where it gets interesting. So his brother comes up to testify for him in Texas. His brother was a justice of the peace and part-time peace officer. Brother gets on the stand uh, because he's already found guilty. So just trying to get some sympathy for his brother. So that, that can't be my brother in the in that film. He don't eat hot dogs. And everybody looked right over at the defendant. His name was Eddie Tipton, who weighs, I think, around three to 400 pounds would be my guess. And they thought, this guy doesn't eat hot dogs. Well, the United Press or the Associated Press writer wrote that up and it went nationwide, that quote, he don't, don't eat hot dogs. But he had bought two, the person in the tape had bought two hot dogs and, uh, and these lottery tickets with his own numbers. Long story short, that made it all the way back to his hometown, the brother's hometown. And come to find out, he had been investigated for money laundering in his hometown. He was in, a, in the hospital. He'd fallen out of a tree stand. He was hunting Bigfoot. So we had Bigfoot involved in this deal. We'd have never thought of this case. He was hunting Bigfoot. When they interviewed him, he said he'd won a lottery in Colorado. So the investigators or the FBI agent called our investigator, said you should check his brother out too. So we checked it out. Lo and behold, here's what police do. They immediately go to all your social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, anything that you're looking at there. They immediately go to your cell phone. We connected all of those contacts and looked at all the winners in the United States and immediately found five jackpots that correlated immediately. But we still didn't know how they did it. So we put those all together, and now we've got a national case. This isn't just a little Iowa. This is the largest U.S. fraud in, in, fraud in U.S. history, according to CBS News. And we, we checked it all out, and lo and behold, we realized there were three dates that everything was bought, and we found a computer that this person, Eddie, had not wiped yet. He had wiped the one that drew our numbers because he put a new one in and there was no evidence. But he, we found one that he hadn't wiped that he had his code on and we found the code. And, and the code was really pretty complicated. Basically, four things had to happen. It had to be on a certain date at a certain time on a certain day. Happened one day a year. 
And if all that happened, he could predict the numbers instead of in the millions of odds, he could do it within 200. And he would had a separate computer beside him. He could write all the numbers down and give it to his brother or to his friend. And they had claimed four or five jackpots. So all three of them got that famous question. You want to be the witness? You want to be the defendant? And his best friend bailed and said, hey, I'm out of here. This, I'm, yes, this is how it worked. You got to reduce sentence. And so Eddie's serving up to 25 years in prison. And his brother got 25 days as a plea deal so that he could be back with these kids. And that's the lottery story that was cracked by a lottery ticket, two hot dogs, and Bigfoot. Wow. What an amazing story. Now, as I tell that story, you can tell, Patty, that all of a sudden I had to become serious. I'm, that's not me. You know, I'm, I, I did a lot of TV and I use that as a way to, we kept this story in the media for so long to try to get the conviction, but ultimately it was a full conviction. It was so well prosecuted, a full confession and conviction, which very few people get. If you have a murder, uh, an assault or whatever, you know, people can appeal it all the way up through the courts and it takes forever. And you always think, did this really happen? But yep, they confessed and it did. Wow. And what was the total fraud? The total fraud was around 24 million, I believe, that I, I've heard different numbers, but that it's between 20 and 24 million dollars. And that's an internal job. Now, larger numbers, there have been other, you know, people ask me, would you play the balls or would you play the, or do you think a computer pick is different? You can get fraud anytime there's that much money, billions and billions of dollars. Just in our US, it's uh, around 80 to 90 billion dollars spent on lottery tickets. And that's more than all of our professional sports tickets, all the music and all the movies combined. So a lot of people play lottery as they do in your country. So it is a crazy amount of money. And so my, my answer to the balls versus a computer is doesn't matter what it is. If somebody, if you don't have checks and balances in an organization, and this goes down to the smallest, you have a church, you have a school. If someone writes the checks and writes the purchase orders, you're ripe for fraud. And so you need those separations of duties, which they did after all of this in that same organization to make it uh, fair and honest. I used to work for a big investment bank and, you know, with the banks, obviously fraud is a big part of what they try to make sure they stamp out. And yeah, that there's just so much opportunity for people, isn't there, to kind of defraud the system, especially with the technology we have these days as well. We, we used to hear about the big bank robberies where people used to break into a bank. But actually, some of the internet fraud that happens now is way bigger. And we never hear about really? it because it's all behind the scenes. External hacking is scary, but the internal is also there. And there are three reasons, according to the American Certified, or the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, three things that, that will get you in trouble in your organization. Number one is financial need. You and I both like to make more money. But if you're sitting there and all of a sudden you, your kids are going to college, they took your credit cards, ran you ragged, you know, maybe you got a gambling problem, a drinking problem, a divorce, that takes you over the edge. But you've got to have all three pieces to really take you over to the edge. And the second is opportunity. So you have the PO and you have the, and you write the checks, you probably could do something. You know, and then you say, well, I need the money and I could do it. Nobody's going to see it because I have all the power. I have all the keys of the kingdom. Eddie had all the keys of the kingdom in this case because he wrote the code, he compiled the code, and he oversaw the code. But the third piece of that is the hardest one to supervise as a CEO or as an, that's called rationalization. If I have all the keys, I mean, there are people who in small organizations, uh, churches especially, the church secretary, you know, handles all the money. Doesn't mean you're going to do it, 
But sometime that little devil on the shoulder says, you know, you got by with it. And most people will try it a little bit, maybe take $10 or Eddie got a couple of small jackpots, but ultimately I think I can get by with this. Nobody's watching. Nobody cares. And I deserve it. And that I deserve it, or they're working me too hard. I need more money because somebody else is making more than me. That rationalization, when that kicks in and you have the other two elements, the easiest one to control as supervisors in your business is the checks and balances, the uh, the opportunity um, of keeping that separation so that somebody else signs the check when that's happening and oversees that. The other thing that I thought was interesting is in any organization, you have external auditors sometimes. People find fraud internally by employees, anonymous tips, and vendors, not by external auditors. 46% of all frauds found by employees, tip hotline, audit, you know, for only 4% is found by external auditors. But auditors are great if you're a CEO of a company to say, hey, I, this doesn't feel right over here in the purchasing department. Would you take a look at that? That's how you oft, auditors, external auditors use most effectively. Man, I all of a sudden got serious. I'm sorry about all that. No, thank you. I'm glad you got serious because it's a really serious topic uh, that's probably prevalent in every industry pretty much that's out there. Well, anytime you got money, somebody wants something or, you know, they're giving away free t-shirts. Do you take two? Do you take one? You know, just, yeah. <laughs> Definitely so, two for me. Same, same kind of attitudes. <laughs> no, fantastic. Wow, Terry, honestly, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to know you. So I, I just wanted to understand a little bit more about your other book as well. $80 billion gamble is available on Amazon and it has all of the details of the lottery fraud start to finish. And it's really heavy detailed in that. I wanted to do a factual because there's already been some national, I think you may see a documentary in the next two years that's being discussed and produced that will be, you know, may have a few facts changed. Is that Netflix? I can't say what channel it would be on. It's not placed yet. So it'll probably be one of the streaming services. And then the other one is Dare to Dream, Dare to Act. And that's the one about new ideas and that sort of thing. But I'm real excited. We have another, I have one other documentary. Talk about ideas. Okay. Let's see if I can do this in 60 seconds for you, Patty. So back when I was doing my own companies and doing the HBO free previews, I always thought I need to do my own show. And what's the number one cable show in the world? WWE, World Wrestling, right? I thought, well, what other sport could we do that they don't pay, at least in the U.S., the players very much. I could get professional players and yet do the same storylines of fights and everybody's messing around with everybody else's girlfriend and wife and all that sort of stuff. Soccer. So in 2000, we produced a show called Soccer Slam. Full contact, indoor soccer. Did it on an ice rink. Throw two balls in for the last minute. We did three periods. And then I hired stuntmen to do all the fights and everybody's, and we had uh, butts up where, you know, the opposition had bend over and if you could hit them in the butt, you got three points. And so high scoring action. Well, long story short, got it on Fox Sports World and uh, Galavision and I got busy on HBO and we didn't produce more than four shows. Last December, theathletic.com, the head soccer writer found it, wrote a 72 page, you can catch it on theathletic.com. Terry Rich or Soccer Slam, 72-page article. And lo and behold, somebody called and said, we want to do a documentary on the making of Soccer Slam. So I'm hoping Soccer Slam might come back at some point, knowing that The Rock just paid $15 million for the XFL, which was in bankruptcy. So we'll see what happens. Oh, fascinating. That's amazing. I, I think we need that. I think that's a show we definitely need. I'd love to see some footballers um, 
beating the hell out of each other on an ice rink. Everybody <laughs> likes to see a fight once in a while, but this is all set up. But anyway, it, it should be fun. Hey, my last million dollar idea. You ready for it? You and yep. I are going to put this together. I'm writing it down. I'm getting my paper. Right. When we have a game called Mega Millions, a game called Powerball in the U.S. So thank Euro Millions. They, they asked me to help with this big lotto game and to publicize it. And I was driving home and I looked up and there's the moon and it was one, they see a little fingernail, so it's really dark. And I'm thinking, let's get a spotlight or a, a laser and let's put the jackpot amount on the moon. And we could actually make that the billboard. We could own the moon. Wow. So I've called around and they said that getting up through the atmosphere diffuses the signal. So we probably have to get Elon Musk and get us a rocket to get something up there. But we can own the moon as advertising no one else owns that yet and use the dark side everybody wants to get on the light side when they move go up there and fly but we'll take the dark side and there's my million dollar idea anybody wants to do it let's do it oh i mean here's i'm going to put my money down i think i'd I, that would be amazing to yeah use the moon in that way I, I sounds like a minion story that was night with the rats at, at some of the facilities where we turn it we put a spotlight up there on the dark side and all of a sudden there are little green men running around. <laughs> <thought about> that. <laughs> this has been fun patty Oh, no, I could talk to you all day, Terry, honestly. I think we're going to have to do some follow-up episodes because um, I'm sure there's plenty more stories you've got throughout those amazing experiences you've had. If you get no other message, those that are watching right now, is that I'm just a farm kid, had no money growing up on a farm in the small one of the smallest states in the United States. It wasn't New York. It wasn't Hollywood. And if I can do it, you can too. And Ted Turner, the cable news guy, he was the one that really taught me, the guy was a billionaire when he's all said and done, but he just, you know, he could touch anything. He'd try anything, anytime. And that's the bottom line here. You can do it. And if you fail once, get back up and try her again. Oh, what a lovely way to end the episode. That's fantastic words and uh, words of wisdom from the man himself, Terry Rich. And I, I have to go back to your surname, Terry. That's the best surname to ever have. I, I think I need to change mine as well. But no, thank you once again for your time. You're welcome. Uh, it's been a pleasure. 